0: I want to invite you to subscribe to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. You can do it right now on any device you have. iPhone, Android, doesn't matter. It's very simple to do. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. This week, the uh, the podcast is brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. The Twitter files were released, and this is part of – I'm not a big conspiracy guy – but people are flipping out about the fact that Elon Musk owns Twitter. Um, I use social media differently than the younger people do. At 55 years old, I love social media, but it's not a resource for truth for me. It is a place for people to vent. It is a place for people to have conversations. There's insults. There's mean-spirited people. But the, through it all, it's just a fun place to interact. Um that's how I use it. But there are others that use it for news. Well, the interesting thing that happened was there was a big drop of information from Elon Musk on what was going on before he owned Twitter. And if you believe what these Twitter reports are, that was skewed very heavily toward the left. In the 2020 election, the big suppression of the Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop story is becoming more and more front and center. Here's something I will say to you that I think is, is important. The media in this country enjoys certain protections, and it should. Uh, We have a right to criticize our government any way we want. And we get without legal repercussion. We have a right to criticize our government, to question our government, to write about our government. We give our opinions. We do not have a state run media. And I think that separates us a great deal. What I don't think the founding fathers ever really counted on was what happens if members of the media pick sides? What if you push down stories that you don't like because it, it, it's a negative on your side of your political aisle that you're on? And what if you promote stories about the opposite side of the aisle, if you're a journalist um and on twitter if you've got a platform where you're supposed to be allowing people and i don't so i'll be honest with you i'm not surprised by the stories we hear nor do i care because i don't trust twitter as a news source i never have it's not i don't mean any offense by that but social media for me isn't a reliable place to get news but if what we found out if we if what they're saying is true request to take down anti-Biden tweets routine um, that uh, Twitter's rationale for censoring the laptop story was BS and they knew it that was part of uh, the evidence that was put out the problem with the hacked materials ruling uh, was that this normally is required by official law enforcement findings of a hack but such a finding never appears throughout what was one executive describes as a whirlwind 24 hour company wide mess the reason why I bring this up is Steve Kerr, who obviously played uh, played for the Suns, but um, was a famous NBA player, but also now is a famous NBA coach. And I want you to hear Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Warriors, talking about for-profit media for profit these days is is so bad it's so negative because it just it pulls people into those camps that you're talking about and then it just reinforces the negative stereotypes of the other side uh and meanwhile these these uh, media companies are are just churning out the dollars by you know fomenting anger and And distrust. And it's like, yeah, this is not really a good recipe for a healthy country. So if you don't have for profit media, what are your other choices? Again, this idea of profit being evil. Um, Integrity isn't about money. There are people that have integrity that are very wealthy, and there are people with no integrity that have no money. It, it, it's about integrity. and But what's your, what are your other options? This is my question on this topic. What are our other options? Are we going to have a state-run media? Is the government going to tell us what the truth is? And I, We have had so many extremes in the last few years in opinions. We tried the truth police with the Biden administration, and there were a lot of people that thought misinformation, disinformation, we've got to get rid of all of this. It's got to be to what end? Because what happens? And I mean this sincerely. What happens now that this Hunter Biden laptop thing, which is I do laugh at that? How is this not the biggest story in the world right now? With all of the connections that are happening, how, and how, how disgusting some of the pictures that we've seen, you know, salacious some of the details are, but also the business dealings and the, and the, that lead back to the White House. How is this not the biggest story in the country? You ask, you can answer that for yourself. How is it not the biggest story in the country? But the fact that the FBI helped push it down, that should be a big concern to people. If And I don't believe field agents with the FBI do these kinds of things, but I do think the higher up through the ranks, the more you become a bureaucrat, that is part of the job. When you become command staff in a police department, you are uh, – you working at the pleasure – of the city council or the city manager, whatever it is, and you do have to have your feet in two boats. You have to be both politician and police officer. And the same thing happens at the highest level of the FBI. You're part politician. You're part bureaucrat, but you're also part law enforcement. You're supposed to be standing in the gap between the two. But if you have integrity, you don't let things like this happen. But what are our options? A state run media, because right now what we've heard is with the truth police as they wanted it with the Biden administration was just so you got accurate information. That's how the truth police are sold in every state run media that happens around the world, like Cuba, where the Cuban people are told uh, China, where they the citizens is controlled what they hear. That's one of the things we wanted to stay away from in this country. So what happens if they change sides? What ha- Je- I mean this sincerely, what happens if Donald Trump runs again, gets the nomination as reelected president and we've got this board of people whose job it is to make sure you're getting accuracy in your news. So he gets to put anybody that that let's say this is a this is a body that was put in place By the United United States government during a time it's a cabinet position or whatever they wanted to call it, that this is where they are going to tell you what the truth is. They're going to make sure that when you see information, they have final say on whether or not it needs a label that it's not true and it's been fact checked and this isn't true or that isn't true. What happens to all of you out there that thinks we need that right now when it came to COVID-19 and all the misinformation that was out there that was going to kill people if we don't push it down and if we don't make sure we tell everybody it's misinformation? Well, then what happens, like with the Hunter uh, Biden laptop story, what happens when you find out that what they were saying is a lie, that it wasn't true, that the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story was actually truthful, that there was a laptop with all that information on it that did belong to Hunter Biden. Now, all these years later, people are saying, oh, well, we made a mistake. We should not have pushed it down. First meta says it. Now Twitter is saying it. What happens when you change sides? And Donald Trump then is the one in charge of making sure you only hear the truth. What we need to push for is what we push for in this building, what our news team pushes for, which is integrity, which is we would much rather be right Then be first. And I'm not talking about myself. I am not a journalist. I'm talking about the people that I work with that are journalists. They work hard on stories to make sure that they source them appropriately, multiple sources to make sure they get it right. And that's where the difference lies. And it all is about who has integrity. And that's what we need. We don't need state-run media. We don't need fact-checkers. We need people with integrity that are telling the stories. And if we demand integrity, then we'll get integrity. And we'll see companies go away that won't be making profits. In a moment, we're going to talk about the border because in a different way. Dreamers are now getting in-state tuition. But what happens after college? They still are up in the air. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Everyone likes to talk about accountability when it's somebody else that you're asking to hold someone accountable, not when it's you. Are we always always going to be bound by partisan politics or is somebody on the opposite side of the aisle from you finally going to do something you agree with them doing? It's not easy. It's not easy to disagree with people you normally agree with. It certainly isn't easy to do it publicly. But I want to talk about the border for a moment in a completely different context. The president of the United States, for the first time as president of the United States, is going to visit Arizona tomorrow. He will be going to a chip plant to talk about the Chips Act and talk about manufacturing here in the United States and tout his agenda. That's what presidents do. So great. He's coming to Arizona. But the push to get him to go to the border. Now, you've got a Republican governor that's saying it in Governor Ducey. You have other Republicans that are saying he should do it, including myself in conservative talk radio that watch. You're here. It's a shame that you you don't go to the border. But you know who should be screaming this should be both of our Democrat senators. And maybe they are behind the scenes. I don't expect them to publicly embarrass the White House or disagree. But are they screaming it from behind the scenes? And the reason why I ask this is because the president of the United States is a complete failure on the border. You go back to presidents, to Barack Obama, when the DREAM Act was instated the executive order protecting people that are literally people without a country. They are not citizens of the U.S., but they were raised Americans. They want to be contributing Americans as adults. So they've gotten free tuition, not free tuition, I should say that. In state tuition has now been granted to them by the voters of Arizona. Great. You know, so now what? They still have issues when they graduate from college. What do they do next? When is it finally going to be resolved? I've mentioned this so many times. If you want to look at a prime example of the failures of the American immigration system and our handling in border security, because there are two different things. The immigration system is one thing. Border security is completely separate. Our failure as a nation to secure our border. Look no further. Then the dreamers. And we've created and are creating a new generation of that of what's happening right now. This president is allowing chaos to continue. You And right this argument about no president has fixed the border, you're right about that. But this is the president now. And the border problem has never been worse than it has been before. We need an immigration system that allows good people to come to this country. I will fight for that as hard as I fight for border security. But no rules or laws that you have matter if you're not enforcing. Them, they've got this directive that was put out by the Secretary of Homeland Security, by Mayorkas, who is saying that the border enforcement of who's going to be deported and who isn't is going to be limited. And then they said that's because we don't have enough people to do that enforcement. And yet, in the last major piece of legislation that was passed in this country that was championed by the White House, it was to hire eighty-seven thousand more IRS agents, not people to fight on the border and make sure that it's secure. I hate the the argument we have about immigration in this country. I hate it. I hate it because I know so many great immigration stories. I think immigrants to this country are a phenomenal addition to this country. We should never slow it down. We should never stop it. If you don't know someone, I mean really know someone, if you don't have someone that's a friend that you've heard their stories that are immigrants to this country, you're missing out on Americanism. I mean that. You are seriously missing out on how much people love this country that have come from other places. And we should never lose that. But what we've done is we've got a system that's convoluted. So Senator Sinema talks about the intent of Title 42. And and I want you to hear she made this comment. She was on Friday. She was on with Matt Salmon, who filled in for me on this show. And what Title 42 does is allow us to more tightly control on our borders on who can come into the country and who cannot. And the original reasoning for this was because, of course, we wanted to reduce the spread
1: of the COVID-19 virus.
0: Well, if that – and being correct in Title 42, ending courts or ending this, it's going to be over with. Why aren't they pushing for other pieces of legislation that gives teeth to the border rules? That There's nothing wrong with that. She talks about this being a crisis, and who's it going to be a crisis for? We don't have um, a legal system that is robust enough to decide quickly who who can legally come into the country and who can't. And so our border communities are just overwhelmed with the flood of Migrants who are entering the country, and it creates a real crisis situation in those communities, and it also creates a crisis and a humanitarian
1: situation for those migrants.
0: And we aren't doing anything about it. As a government, nothing is being done, and this is where the problem should lie. So, when I asked this question earlier, who on the other side of the aisle is going to push back? This should be an issue. Where if you are – unless you're someone who is just an open borders person, if you're a person that just thinks we shouldn't have borders at all, I understand your position. I totally disagree with it, but you're not going to be a part of this fight. But the Democrats are still in control. They have the House. There's a 50-50 split, but they effectively run the Senate, and they've got the White House. They should be doing something to affect change on the U.S. border. They should be doing something to secure the U.S. border. They should be doing more. They should be empowering. They should be hiring. They should be funding. They should be doing what's necessary so that we have a better feeling about the immigration system in the U.S. because we don't right now. It does, you know, I'm, I am, uh, I am beating a dead horse. When I talk about it, what I'm doing is I am uh, making people on my side of the aisle more frustrated than they already are. But it really isn't affecting much change because no one's going to listen to me because the president doesn't care what I think. I'm never going to vote for him. I'm never going to vote for him. But some of you will. And some of you donate to causes that are near and dear to the president. Some of you, um, uh, you know, give to candidates that are on that side of the aisle. You're the voices that should be out there saying we've got to do something to fix the border. And there's just not enough of those voices out there. Coming up in a moment, Wolfley joins me. We do this bird's eye view every week. Interesting this week because the Cardinals are on a bye week. We're going to talk about the Cardinals and the other NFL stories that are out there. So please stick around for it
1: room head talks Cardinals with color analyst and former Cards fullback Ron Wolfley. Oh, am I digging the chili of what the Cardinals are mixing up? Bird's Eye View, brought to you by AZ Valley Windows, Arizona's most
0: trusted window replacement company since 2004. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, My favorite part of the week, I get to talk to Ron Wolfley, but I get to talk to Ron Wolfley about football. Different this week. Cardinals had a bye week, so we're going to talk, I don't know, a little bit more comprehensively about the league. How are you, Wolf? I'm doing good, Brew. How about you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Let's talk about the NFL. Let's start with the San Francisco 49ers. Now with their third-string quarterback in the game, effectively losing their first two starters and still winning a big game. What does this tell you about this team?
1: Yeah, you know what? This roster is so talented. It was one of the reasons why earlier in the season when they were losing games, it was so difficult to actually look at it. I know Trey Lance is the quarterback, of course, they started the season with and they went to Jimmy G. But the roster overall, I would say offensively and defensively, the best roster in the NFC. And because of that, you expected them to play better. They were not playing very well. And as so many football teams struggle from time to time, trying to find themselves I think the 49ers did the exact same thing, especially after they acquired Christian uh, McCaffrey. I think that guy is so talented. They really didn't know at first... How to use them, Brew, but I think they're starting to find a little rhythm with Christian McCaffrey, of course, and some of their other talent. Debo Samuel played a huge part in what they did yesterday, but, you know, boy, you're down to your third string quarterback right now, and Brock Purdy, local product here. And I just don't know how that's going to work out, how that's going to play out. I know they won yesterday, but um, when defensive coordinators start seeing tendencies, that's when they start picking at you.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. Head coaches to me are kind of like a great chef in that if you, you can make a a good meal out of average ingredients, but a great chef also can make a phenomenal five-star meal or a Michelin star meal with great ingredients. And then you've got a great coaching staff with the 49ers and probably like you said, the best ingredients in the division. That's a tough, that's a tough group to beat.
1: No, no, you know, one of the things I love about that, yeah, you're bringing up Kyle Shanahan, of course, and his coaching staff. They really have a very physical mentality, a physical philosophy. They're going to attack the line of scrimmage. That much you know. They'll do it out of power personnel groups, using a fullback from time to time. They'll go a lot of two tight ends as well. Many times they have two running backs in the game and two tight ends in the game. They like to mix it up with power personnel groups. They attack the line of scrimmage. very physical offense and their defense, man, I gotta tell you, their defense is as good as it gets in the National Football League right now. Check this out. In the last five games, the last five games for the 49ers, they have outscored their opponent 80 to seven in the second half. Oh my Think God! that for a minute. That's the <laughs> definition of winning games, bro.
0: That is incredible. Let's let's shift to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now they have won the last three in a row against the Kansas City Chiefs. Do they just have the Chiefs' number? Is that what this is all about? <laughs>
1: You have to wonder, right? Yes. You have to You have to wonder about that. Um, yeah, anytime you've got Joe Burrow, um, I, I think Joe Burrow is in the offense that he needs to be in as well. It's a very balanced offense. The Bengals now, have you noticed lately they're running the ball and doing a very good job running the ball lately? Yeah. And if you're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, bro, that's exactly what you got to do. You've got to be able to control the ball. You've got to be able To run the ball, limit the possessions of the Kansas City Chiefs, limit the possessions of Patrick Mahomes and that high powered offense, and then you've got to score when it matters most. And that is what the Bengals did yesterday. That is a formula in beating the Kansas City Chiefs and the Bengals got their number. I'm with you on that one.
0: I want to uh, I want to preview the Cardinals game in a moment, but before I do that, I want to shift to college football briefly. Two questions. First of all, what do you think of the Fiesta Bowl matchup that's coming here? And the other one is about Deion Sanders and what he did at Jackson State in an SBC uh, you know, the uh, you know the historically black college universities there when he was at Jackson State. Now he's jumping to Colorado. Do you think he's going to be successful there as well?
1: Yeah, he'd Let me just pick that up right there. Deion Sanders, man, I do. First of all, I think he is going to be successful. This is a guy that can recruit. This is a guy that is the new recruiter in the era of 2022 where you've got to be able to go out and reach kids before you can teach kids. And I really think that Deion Sanders is one of those guys. It's the reason why he was successful at Jackson State, and I think he's going to be successful in terms of recruiting At Colorado. Now you've got to have coaches as well. You've got to have a plan, a good plan, and you've got to be able to scout opponents and you've got to be able to come up with game plans that will beat opponents. But I think Deion Sanders is going to be successful wherever he goes from this point forward. And I think he's also getting better as a coach.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. How about the Fiesta Bowl matchup?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, um, how do you feel about it? I'd I'd love to get your opinion on this one right here. (laughs) How do you feel about it?
0: I was surprised to see TCU stay at number three. I thought maybe with that loss, we might actually see a rematch between Michigan and Ohio State, which would have been a phenomenal matchup. But I still think there's going to be a lot there. I think Michigan's just going to be too strong here. I think Michigan has got to be the overwhelming favorite in the game.
1: For me right now, I can tell you there are two overwhelming favorites that I have, obviously Georgia and Michigan. So to your point right there, I do believe that Michigan is going to waylay TCU, and it's going to happen on the line of scrimmage. Now, again, no disrespect to Texas Christian University, no disrespect whatsoever. But to me, Michigan, watching this powerful um, physical football team, You've got Jim Harbaugh throwing back this team to late 1990s. <laughs> I mean, this is a very physical Michigan football team that can run the ball, line up, and run your face over. And to me, I think that's what's going to happen with TCU now. I think it's going to be Georgia Michigan. I think they're the two best teams. I think that's what it's going to come down to. And those two teams, bro, are built on the line of scrimmage. Yep. Yes, they have great skill. Yes, they have great talent. There's no denying that. Yet at the same time, the offensive lines of both teams and the defensive line, the line of scrimmage, man, this is going to be bloodletting it really is
0: yeah and i can't i can't wait to watch these games i'm so excited about them finally let's preview your cardinals with the uh, new england patriots what do you see happening
1: Yeah, you know, Bill Belichick is a guy that uh, I've got a great deal of respect for. We all know what a good coach he is, but I know it from a player's perspective as well. Having played for him for two years, he's going to look at the very myopic. He's going to look at the smallest detail. He's going to figure out what the Patriots need to do to try to beat the Arizona Cardinals. To me, I think he's going to focus on rushing five, getting Kyler Murray into a pocket, and going after him and keeping him in that pocket and playing an awful lot of some type of cover, too. Now, again, they'll they'll use different rushes, sometimes four, sometimes five, but they're going to use two safeties high. They're going to force the Arizona Cardinals to try to move the ball down the field, 10, 11, 12 play drives. And that's something that the Cardinals have not been able to do, basically, with any consistency all season long. I think that's what the Patriots are going to try to do. Then they're going to line up and try to attack the line of scrimmage and run the ball as well. That's um, a, a tenant of Bill Belichick, especially if In fact, he thinks your defense struggles to stop the run, and the Cardinals' defense has struggled from time to time to stop the run. So I could see him running the ball an awful lot against the Cardinals, really trying to keep Kyla Murray in that pocket and make him force the ball down the field. But That's going to be the way they'll attack the Cardinals, and whether or not the Cardinals can overcome it, we'll have to wait and see. But they haven't been able to do that so far. Always great
0: to talk with you, Wolf. I love the information. I love the insight. Thank you, buddy. All right, man. That's uh, Ron Wolfley with Bird's Eye View. He's with the uh, Wolf and Luke Show on Arizona Sports and the voice of your Arizona Cardinals. Coming up in a moment, lawmakers asking for a special session from the governor. We're going to tell you why coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you know a remarkable Valley teacher deserving of a $2,500 check, it's our Pay Tribute to a Teacher program. Just text the word teacher to 411923. Nominate a teacher, it's Pay Tribute to a Teacher. It's brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Just text teacher to 411-92-3. Um... Speaking of which, we're on the education talk here. School spending, as you know, that there is a limit on expenditures here because of a 1980s law that was passed by voters in Arizona. And it's got to be overridden. And the governor promised that it would be overridden. So there are people that are asking the governor to call a special session so they can get into session. They can rehash this out to make sure that the dollars go into the classroom. And they're both sides of the aisle asking the governor to do this. It's the reason why I don't like our propositional form of government. I've railed about this so many times. But it is interesting to me the changes we are seeing in education. This is what I'd like to see more than anything else, is what direction will we see school districts taking? Because there have been some major changes as parents have gotten involved after we saw with COVID and questions about curriculum. There are a lot of parents that are saying that they absolutely want to see a different direction taken. When school budgets get cut, people talk about laying off teachers and everything else. One of the things parents are asking questions about now is they're asking questions about curriculum because curriculum costs money. They have to pay to buy the textbooks. They pay for the curriculum. Sometimes they have to pay to train the teachers. It's very costly. And parents want to know, are you maximizing time with children? School districts also now have to deal with the expansion of the ESA program, which means parents can now take that money about. $7,000 of tax money, and they can shift it to schools such as private schools or homeschooling or counseling or tutoring or whatever they see fit to get their child the best education that they believe is possible. No longer is it that you live in this school district, you go to this school district, the school boards control the curriculum, the school boards control what direction the students are going to go, and if you live in that district, you're bound by what that school district decides they're going to do. There are a lot of options for parents. There's homeschooling, there's microschooling, there's charter schools, all of these other options out there. And private schools now are an option for many families where it wasn't before. Now we're talking about public education expenditures. This is why I hate the propositional form of government. I hate it because now their hands are tied. They need a two-thirds majority to override this. If they don't get that two-thirds majority, what ends up happening is there's going to be a couple of billion dollars that's been allocated, our money that's already been allocated by the legislature. They can't be spent. It can be huge cuts in some school districts if it's not done. Will they call a special session to get it done now? Or will Governor Hobbs in the next legislative session, will she be required to deal with this? When the legislature goes into session, will they have to deal with it there? And I'm anxious to see how this works out because you can call the special session, but you cannot force people to vote for something if they don't want to. And we'll see what it's going to take to get that vote done. It's going to be very Very tough to do. There's no doubt about that. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock is we're going to go back to the economy by the numbers. California wants to punish oil companies for high gas prices. But I'm looking at the gas taxes that are paid right in front of me by state. How much money does the state of California collect in gas taxes overall? What does it cost the average taxpayer for a gallon of gasoline in California? And what is the government's share? It's an interesting study. We're going to do that coming up here in just a couple of moments. So I hope you're going to stick around for it.